Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. Who are you looking for? Now, there's, there's so many people today in our culture think everything's wrapped up in a what, okay? We have a lot of people looking for what. What next? What can I have? What can I buy? What can I do? You know, all this year, we've been doing a series on questions that God asks. Now, now we all have, or maybe, maybe it's just me, have you ever had a question for God? Yeah, yeah come on, don't, don't look at me so religious. We have them all time, don't we? Why is this happening? Why me? Why now? Why this? Right? Come on. We have all kind of questions. The Bible teaches us in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's over 300 questions that God asks, okay? Not us asking him. It's him giving us questions for us to consider and ultimately find what is his purpose in that circumstance or that situation. Now today, I want to draw your attention to John chapter 20 and 21. And as Mary Magdalene walked to that tomb to find it empty, her emptiness doesn't last long because she, she has this encounter with the risen Savior. And when she has this conversation with Jesus, he actually asked us two questions. First of all, he was concerned about what she was feeling. He said, why are you crying? He immediately knew that there was sorrow that was filling her life. He he knew that she was broken of what was going on. He knew her, but she had not recognized him. And I started thinking about this, this phrase or this conversation that Jesus had. I got to thinking so many times there's barriers that keeps us from embracing the resurrected Jesus. Now, we're celebrating Easter, and we've been doing this, many of us in this room, for over 60-plus years, and some may be doing it for 70-plus years. Maybe you've been doing it for 30-plus years, whatever. But we come to this season every year. We just come through Christmas a few months ago. Christmas was God's promise to the world. For God so loved the world that he would what? Give his only begotten son. And Christmas was a promise that God would make, and Easter would ultimately become the proof of that promise. Ultimately, God would prove his love to this world by giving his only begotten son to die on the cross. We talked a little bit about about that last week. So all this year, we've been talking about questions, and this morning... I want us to look at that question, who are you looking for? You see, our Christian faith is not built upon a what. Now, now I know we have doctrines, and I I know we have, you know, catechism. I I know we have, you know, the Apostles' Creed. but, But none of those things really matter if we forget the answer to the who question. It is the who question that undergirds everything else. You understand that? The risen Christ is the answer to the who. To the who, not to the what, but to the who. 
And the Bible says that Jesus showed himself after he's resurrected. He showed himself alive with many infallible proofs. Now, at one time, he shows himself to more than 500 people. So, so there's documented records of Jesus being killed, buried, resurrected, and alive. But particularly in John, the last two Gospels of John, John 20 and 21, Jesus shows up and he appears to five different, on five different occasions to five different uh, friends or acquaintances or people that he had. And each encounter that he has with them, there's a barrier there that could prevent them from accepting Jesus is alive. Okay. Now, when, I, when, when you look at these barriers, I know in our culture today, even though we've been preaching the resurrected Savior for over 2,000 years, there are still people that have barriers that says, I, I just can't accept that. Or I'm going through so much and I've got to deal with something in my life. I just don't know if I can embrace that. And just like for Jesus' disciples in this counter, just like those barriers that they experience, we often experience these barriers. Now, I chose five. There, there might be 50. There might be 500. I don't know. But, I, but I, I want to look at five today to understand that Jesus is the only one that can dispel and be able to navigate, help us navigate through the barriers that we're struggling with. And as we, we read the story, particularly of Mary, his first encounter, the very first barrier that, that we see is the barrier of sorrow. Everybody say sorrow. Now, I don't know about you. If you've lived very long in this world, if you've spent very much time with yourself or with other people, we understand that sorrow, brokenness is a part of our culture today, right? We see it all the time. And Mary's, Mary's sorrow would be a barrier that kept her from realizing who the risen Savior really was. She, she's hurting. She's in pain. And Jesus shows up. Now, watch this. Every time we have a barrier, only the presence of Jesus, only an encounter with him can really help us navigate that. In the moments of her sorrow, the risen Savior says her name. And the moment he says, Mary, she recognizes who Jesus is. Now, she responds. He said, Mary, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She responds real quickly with, with, with a what or a where. You know, she responds with, well, what's happened to his body? I don't know where they've laid her, where they've laid him. So she responds to, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She responds to a what or to a where. Now, what's it? Jesus says her name, and as soon as she, he says her name, she turns and looks at him, and she recognizes that he is the Messiah. She goes to him to embrace him. He, 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 he backs off just a little bit, says, don't touch me. I, you know, he cautioned her. I've not yet ascended to my father. I'm going to go to my father. I've got to finish some business. But you go find your brothers and tell them that I've ascended to my father and your father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, she said, I have seen the Lord. Say that with me. I have seen the Lord. No, what's this? 
Here's our problem in our culture today. When we're hurting and we're in pain, we so quickly to try to go and embrace a what instead of a who. We're so quickly to get something. It's the reason why people reach for the bottle. They reach for the pills. They reach for the drink. They reach for something different. If I can go to this, if I can get away. You know, you've heard people say, oh, I just, I, if I could just get away. Here's the problem. Wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> right? Come on. And we understand what, whatever the pain we're having, whatever we're experiencing, there's nothing out there, there's not a what, there's not a thing that's going to be able to really be able to calm that sorrow inside of us. Only a who, only a visit from the presence of Jesus can give us what we're really looking for. Now, not for one second would I ever belittle the pain or the sorrow, the hurt that you might be going through. Because some of you here in this room, listen, over, over this past year, we've had families in this room that's had to, had to do the most horrid thing that we think has to be done, and that is to bury a loved one. It's, it's, it's a painful thing, the separation, death. And we've had families that's had to do that. We've got families had to, had to navigate sickness and disease that, that we find ourselves in, in circumstances and situation that, that it just seems like that the sorrow is greater than we can bear. The, the pain that we feel when you lose something or the pain that you feel when you feel like you have no control over it, right? Come on. You ever felt that overwhelming sorrow? It just, it almost makes you weak. Our family's navigating that, my daughter and son-in-law, with, with our granddaughter, Ava. We're navigating that, that, that sorrow, that, that helplessness when, when we know there's nothing we can do about that. There, there, there's no magic wand. There's not, a, there's not a quick fix. There's not a pill to take. But there is a miracle-working God that we can still put our faith and our trust in. And it involves a who, not a what. Easter reminds us that we don't have to remain in a forever mourning state. We, we don't have to hold on to the fact that we'll always be this way, that this pain. I tell people all the time that when, 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 you, when somebody passes away, you never get over it. But with the power of Christ, with the presence of Christ, you can get through that loss. You understand that? Sometimes you can't get over a death. You can't get over a divorce. You can't get over the loss of something or someone. But let me tell you, with Christ, you can get through that. He will show up and make himself strong to you. I, I love what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I, I just, this is out of the Message Bible. I love it. I love the realness. He said, all praise to God and Father, our Master, Jesus, the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. One translation said, God of all comfort. Comfort brings healing. He said he comes alongside us when we go through hard times. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. He doesn't leave us. We talked about it last week. He was abandoned, so you and I will never have to be abandoned. He, he was forsaken, so you and I would not be forsaken. He comes along beside us, and before you know it, he brings, a he brings us 
alongside someone else. I love that. Who is going to go through hard time so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Understand, we feel sorrow, we feel pain. God comes along, he brings us hope and help, and then he says, oh, guess what? You're going to meet somebody else. You're not the only one. Come on. The devil wants, oh, you're the only one going through. No, you're not the only one. There's others out there that's hurting like you. What does God do? He said, I want to give you comfort. I want to give you peace. Then I'm going to come along beside you. And then, then there's going to be an opportunity for you to come along somebody else. And then he says this. I love this. He said, we have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah. Now listen, that right there takes away the myth that if you're a Christian and if you're praying and you're going to church, you're doing a, hey, your life is going to be smooth saying, no, 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 no. We have plenty of hard times that come through just for the fact we're following Jesus. We're, 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 we're making him the Lord and master. He said, but no more so. Now what's this? Some of us say, oh, it's difficult. It's so hard following. No, he said, but there's hard times. But he said, but no more so than the good times of his healing comfort. And we get a full measure of that too. You understand, for every sorrow, for every difficulty, for every pain, for every heartbreak, God will come along, give us his presence, and there will be more good times of his healing comfort, and you and I can get a good full measure of that also. And I submit to you today on Easter Sunday that if you have a barrier of sorrow that's keeping you from running to Jesus and allowing him to embrace you, would, would you understand that he was in all points tempted? He knows what our feelings of our infirmities feels like, and he wants you to know today that he wants to comfort your sorrow. He may not wave a magic wand and everything be, oh, totally done away, but listen, he knows your sorrow. He experiences it. He was very aware of it with Mary Magdalene. She had had a rough life. But Jesus changed her life. She was a follower of Jesus, and now she's at his tomb. She's weeping, and he says, Mary. And as soon as he said her name, her sorrow, her tears stopped, and she embraced Jesus Christ. So sorrow can be a barrier. Let me tell you about another barrier we see today. And we see the Bible tells us in John 20, 19, fear can be a barrier. The Bible says that evening, now Mary's been instructed, go tell the disciples, that you've seen the Lord. That evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors in fear of the Jewish leaders when suddenly Jesus was standing there. Again, his presence shows up. The disciples have hidden themselves away because they're afraid. What are they afraid of? Let me tell you very soon. They're afraid. They're next up. They're afraid. They're going to be identified as being disciples of Jesus, and they're afraid that they are going to be also killed. Listen, fear is so strong sometimes in our world today. There is so much fear going on. It almost like, it's almost like a fog that just hangs into a room, the cloudiness. It, it, fear will silence all attempts of any conversation that we sometimes want to have with hope and help. And so many times it isolates each of us into our own dark thoughts. 
And what do we do? Just like the disciples, when we have things that make us fearful and afraid, we lock ourselves away. We're, we're so afraid. But yet, Jesus Christ is the one that can dispel the fear. And you know what he says in different places when he encounters the disciples when they're locked away? He shows up with this very simple word, and it's the word peace. Everybody say peace. peace. Just peace. Hey, just calm down. Just, just chill. Everything's going to be all right. Because the Bible said when Jesus shows up here with the disciples, he said, peace be unto you. And when Jesus was standing there among them, after greeting them, he showed him his hands in his side. And then the Bible says this. I love it. He said in verse 20, 29, how, and how wonderful was their joy as they saw the Lord. Yeah. I love that. They go from fear to experiencing his peace. God calms us out. And then what happened? There's joy. Now, they, they, they don't know what their future is going to hold yet. They don't, they don't understand what he's going to challenge them with. They, don't, they, don't, they haven't heard yet, as Father sent me, I'm going to send you, and, and you're going to go and be witnesses. They haven't heard that message yet. But listen, Jesus knew, number one, they needed their, thought, their fear calm down. And what calms fear is just simply accepting the peace of God that passes all understanding. So just, just calm down. And then as we accept his peace, guess what happens? Even in the midst of fear, you still have. He didn't say their happiness. He says their joy. See, happiness is based upon happenstance, happenstance, circumstance. And so many times we, we, we're still fearful when you base your happiness on, well, Pastor, my circumstances hadn't changed. Things hadn't got any better. You know, we're, 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 we still don't have any answers. We, we still don't know. I, I still haven't figured it out. My, my, my bank account still says this. My job still says this. My doctor still says that. Listen, but when Jesus shows up and gives us his presence and we accept his peace, his peace gives us joy. Joy is based upon the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Joy is based upon a person, not a product. Come on. Not, 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 not something you can purchase. Joy is based upon the presence of Jesus, accepting his peace in our life and saying, Lord, I don't know the future. I don't know what's going to happen. But guess what? I'm trusting you to stay with me in this. Isn't that amazing? And the Bible says when, when they, they had that joy, then Jesus was able to engage in the conversation. So what's this? Sorrow keeps us sometimes from embracing the risen Savior. Sometimes fear will keep us from embracing the risen Savior. But here's another barrier. It's the barrier of doubt. Now here's a very interesting story that the Bible gives us about one of Jesus' disciples called Thomas. The Bible says that one week later, Thomas is now with the disciples because he wasn't there the first time. Look at John 20, 24. One of the disciples, Thomas, the twin, was not there at the time with the others. So what's this? Jesus has showed himself alive to Mary Magdalene and said, hey, your sorrow, I'm going to calm it down. Everything's going to be all good. He shows himself to some of his disciples. They're not all there. Thomas is not there. So, so he shows himself. Matter of fact, Peter's not there at that encounter. But then a week later, they're gathering again. They're still fearful a little bit. But Thomas shows up, 
And the Bible says when they kept telling him, in other words, they kept rehearsing, Thomas, when Jesus is alive, they kept telling him, we've seen the Lord. He replied, now watch this, I won't believe if unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, I put my fingers into them and place my hand into his side. Now, remember I read to you all ago, Jesus showed him his hands in his side, right, when he shows up to those disciples a week before. Now Thomas is saying, hey, guys, listen, listen, I need to see Jesus. I need to touch him to know that you're telling me the truth. Now, watch this. Thomas's doubt is very understandable. Listen, when, when, when people say, Pastor, I, I, I want to believe, but I just have some doubt. Listen. It's, it's, it's understandable to know that Thomas is simply saying that it's, it's impossible to believe this story unless I can see with my eyes. I've got to have some proof. And later on, a week later, when the risen Savior stands before him and he shows him his hand, shows him his side again, the Bible says he falls to his knees and he gives this resounding declaration of faith. He says, my Lord and my God. So watch this. Was Thomas really a doubter, or was he just simply struggling with his belief? Now, what's this? The reason I don't think, now I know we call him Doubting Thomas, and if anybody's ever been named Thomas, people say, oh, you're Doubting Thomas. No, listen, according to, to, to the Greek lexicon, doubt, dististos, means waver, to waver, to hesitate, or to be uncertain. Listen, doubt is not a rejection of belief. Doubt is simply holding a belief in your heart with an hesitation and with some uncertainty. Now, what's this? Doubt, doubt, to doubt means believing something, but I still got some questions. Now, what's this? He didn't doubt the resurrection of Jesus. He's just not at the point where he has fully embraced it until he can have some, some proof that he needs to experience. Now, now it matters to, to understand that because, listen, calling Thomas a doubter implies that if you doubt, somehow or another doubt is opposed to faith. In reality, there are many people who say they believe, and yet if they're honest, they will say, I believe in the midst of my doubts. You follow me? Matter of fact, if you go to Matthew's account of this, in Matthew 28 and 16, right before Jesus gave the great commission and he ascends to heaven, the Bible says, Matthew says this, that 11 disciples worshiped Jesus, but some doubted. Did you hear that? Now listen. That Jesus had risen from the grave. He's showing up, showing himself alive. But the Bible said, yet some of these people still doubted. Some of these people, listen, they, they had questions about what was happening. They couldn't fully embrace. They were hesitant or they were simply uncertain. Listen, there are many of us in this room, many of you watching, that we believe, and yet we still have some doubts including myself. 
Listen, I believe in miracles. I preach about miracles. I pray for miracles. And yet, even now for our granddaughter, I'm saying, God, I believe in miracles. And yet, there's, there, there's still times there's a hesitation. There's an uncertainty there. It's not unbelief. Are you with me? It's just simply the fact I'm just not 100% there yet. And listen, what, what this story with Thomas shows us, that while Jesus had been risen from the grave, he knows Thomas is still struggling with this, but he doesn't kick Thomas to the side of the road. He doesn't say, Thomas, leave the room. You're not believing. No, he embraces that. And what I want to submit to you today in this culture, Christianity and believing in Easter and the resurrection, it isn't about being able to say, I have 100% certainty. I never doubt. I never have any hesitation. There's not uncertainty in my life at all. Well, sometimes we, it takes a while to get there. I've been preaching the gospel for 50 years, and I want to tell you, I want to say I'm a strong believer, but there are cases and there are situations and there's things that we encounter that I have some uncertainties. Because we struggle with how God, how God are you, how, how are you going to do this, God? What is going to be the way? Because then that's where the certainty, Thomas, listen, he'd heard all the reports, but he said, guys, I want to be, I'm just being honest with you. I've got some uncertainties. I've got some questions yet. I just need to see. And when Jesus shows up, the Bible says he shows him his hand. He shows him his side. My Lord and my God. One of my favorite stories is, is about a, a young Baptist boy who, who went away to college. And he, he made himself very obnoxious to, to his friends by, by constantly bragging to them that about his Baptist heritage, that they, they had a a certainty and a and a 100% belief about everything and it just he was just obnoxious sometime with his belief so so they devised a plan one day that they would put something in his coffee to put him asleep they would take him to the cemetery put him in a in a casket and they would wait there and let him wake up and, and they felt like that they could shake his faith a little bit and not, not have him so obnoxious about his certainty of faith. So, so they did that. They, they had a little get-together. They, they, they spiked his coffee with some uh, a sedative that would put him to sleep. They, they took him down to the cemetery that made arrangements, had a casket, had an open grave, put him down in there. They hid back, and they stayed around all the other graveyard tombs and just waiting for him to wake up scared and afraid and frightened. And, and all night passed, and nothing happened. Finally, the sun's coming up. The boys wake up, and they said, guys, wake up, wake up. He's getting ready. He said, and they started seeing a movement. They seen a hand go up. They seen another hand go up, you know, like. So they made their way over to the, to the tomb, and the, and the guy made his way up. And the, great, the, the casket wasn't already in the grave, so he kind of climbs out, and he stretches real big, and he looks around. These guys said, get ready, get ready. He's going, and he looks around, and he said, I knew it. He said, I knew it. Hallelujah. It's resurrection morning, and the Baptists are the first ones up. <laughs> Yeah, everybody else is sleeping. Everybody else is still in, but we're all up. Listen, listen, calling Thomas a doubter implies that we always have to have certainty, 100% certainty in order to believe. When people think that belief requires complete certainty, then when they do have doubts or they have questions, it paralyzes them painfully. 
And sometimes it leads them to despair. And I've seen that happen in the church. I was talking to just somebody the other day, and he said, you know, Pastor, I want to I believe in this Jesus thing. I want to believe in the transformation thing. And, and there's days and there's, there's weeks that seem like I, I do really good. And then I, then I move into questions, and I'm, I move into uncertainties. And, and when I do that, I, ju- I just feel like that I haven't made any ground, and I just fall back. And I said, that's the, that's the enemy wanting you to do that. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Complete certainty is not required in order for us to believe. The man that come to Jesus with his son that needed healing, he said, Jesus, I want to believe, but I want you to help my unbelief. And I love the fact that Jesus offered Thomas tremendous grace. And he does that to us. Listen, Jesus will give every doubter who, who has any uncertainty, any questions, he will give us the, the gift of his presence. If we just choose to say, Lord, I believe, just help my unbelief. Lord, I trust you, but I, but, but I, but I need help in doing that. That's honesty with God. God understands that. Don't, don't let that become a barrier that keeps you away from God. Sorrow, fear, doubt. What about another barrier? It's called frustration. Anybody ever got frustrated in life? Anybody ever felt like, man, I'm doing all I know to do and nothing's working? And I, I, I go to church and I, I pay my tithes and I pray in a prayer and, and I'm just frustrated. It ain't going the way it should. Frustration was a barrier that sometime later, some of Jesus' disciples are out fishing. And uh, when I say they're out fishing, what I really mean is they're trying to fish. Because the Bible says they went out there and they fished all night long and they caught nothing. All night, now these are professional fishermen who know how to fish. And yet all night fishing, they're coming up empty-handed. You, you can only imagine the frustration as the sun is coming up in the morning. And they're looking at their nets and it's empty. And then all of a sudden somebody's on the beach on the shore and he shouts out to them. In John 21 and 6, we find these words. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get plenty of them. Now, what's this? Do you not think these professional fishers have tried the right side? Come on. Be honest. I think they've been fishing right, left, front of the bow, back of the boat. They have tried every. They're professional fishermen. They're frustrated. And yet Jesus says, well, why don't you throw your boat, your, your net on the right side of the fish? Now, here's the amazing thing. So we did. Everybody say, we did. In the midst of their frustration, in the midst of their own analysis, like, dude, we were just fishing over there 30 minutes ago. There was nothing. Come on. In the midst of their, their own knowledge and ability to discern where it might be, this voice, they don't know it's Jesus yet, this voice says, why don't you just throw your net on the right side? And when they did, they got plenty. So we did. We couldn't draw the net in because the weight of the fish, there were so many. Now watch this. In the moments of our frustration, the risen Christ shows up. And if we're just be willing, now here, here, here's where some of us have to really navigate. If we're just be willing 
in the midst of our frustration to just stop, do a timeout and say, okay, God, what are you saying to me right now? And it doesn't seem logical. Well, why don't you fish on the right side? It doesn't seem logical. Well, why don't you just keep going to church, okay? Well, what, it doesn't seem logical. Why don't you just keep going to that prayer meeting and turning that prayer request in? It doesn't seem logical, Lord. I've done that. Every time I show up and they say, anybody got any prayer requests? I'm writing down the very same thing. They're seeing the very same thing. It doesn't seem logical. You follow me? Does any of that make sense to you? But listen, when, when they were willing to let go of their frustration long enough just to try again. Look at your neighbor and say, sometimes you just got to try again. Just got to try again. How many tries you got? I don't know, but sometimes you just got to try. One more time. Hello? Hey, John, I threw it over there last time. Why don't you throw it? Well, hey, man, you already threw it. Well, let's just, the guy said just throw it over. Let's just, let's just try one more time. And their willingness to try one more time, Jesus replaces their frustration with abundance. He takes their posture of scarcity and he gives them a full net to where that they can't even get the fish in. They have to get some help from some other people. What does it mean to us? I'm, I'm telling you today that sometimes we look around in this world right now, we see the brokenness, we see the hurt, we see the confusion, we see the wars, we hear the rumors of war, we hear now, you know, the, the AI effect, you know, that's going to take over the world, you know. You, 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 come on, anybody hear that stuff? We see all this stuff, and sometimes we say, but Jesus, where are you at? Why ain't you doing something? I think he responds, I am doing something. I'm still speaking if my people will just obey. Showing up, listen, today when you showed up to church on Easter Sunday morning, you sent a message to people in a community. You sent a message to your family and to your friend. I may not have all the answers. I may not have everything correct in my life. It may not all be lined up, but I'm going to show up one more time and I'm going to worship the risen Savior and I'm going to declare that he is alive and because of that, I can live also. You are sending the message. One more time. It's a barrier, but the presence of Jesus navigates us right through it. And then lastly, sorrow, fear, doubt, frustration. Again, there could be 25. I'm giving you five. The last barrier is the barrier of shame. We know the story of Simon Peter. Listen, one of Jesus' disciples was such a rebel was he, he'd made such a historical mistake that we're still talking about it over 2,000 years later. His denial of Jesus. True? Come on. You ever went to one of those family reunions and you haven't seen people in five years and you finally show up and you make all the arrangements and you drive and you're there and you haven't seen people in five years and here Uncle Joe shows up. <laughs> you're here. You remember that time you did the stupidest thing in the world? We, we, we can't handle five years of people calling up our past. How do you think Simon, people ha Simon Peter handles over 2,000 years? 
But we still remember his stupidity of denying Jesus three times when he stood and declared, I'll never forsake you. Everybody else can leave, but let me tell you, dude, I am with you, bro. Homie, we're in. I'm there. <laughs> Only to find himself denied three times. So Jesus is showing himself to Mary Magdalene. He's already risen from the grave. He said, go tell the disciples. And then he said, tell Peter. And somewhere along the way, history doesn't record when and where, but Jesus does have a private meeting to Simon Peter. And now when Peter encounters him again, he's been one of those dudes out there in the boat that's been fishing. Nothing happened. The Bible says they start to the shore, and once they're on the beach, verse, John chapter 21, verse 7 says this, at that, Simon Peter put on his tunic when he was, when he was stripped to the, to the waist, jumped into the water, and swam ashore. The rest of us stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to the beach about 300 feet away. And when he got there, we saw a fire that was kindled, and the fish were frying over it, and there was bread. And watch this. Here's Simon Peter. Is about to have a conversation with Jesus. Now, what's it? It's amazing. By, by one fire, Peter is going to say, I don't know you. By another fire, Peter is going to declare, I love you. See, it matters what fire you get by. By one fire, he curses and said, I never knew the man. By another fire, Jesus is about to restore Simon Peter. And the conversation that, that Jesus has with Simon Peter is absolutely necessary. Because Peter's still feeling some shame and guilt. Because listen, you know, when we mess up and we blow it big time and everybody knows we blow it, five years later we still show up to that family reunion and we still have a little bit of guilt and a little bit of shame, a little bit of embarrassment, just hoping nobody says anything about it. Come on, right? Come on, you, you've been there. Maybe it's that workplace. Maybe it's that, it's that, it's that relationship where you're back in it and you're, 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 you're thinking things are going to be okay, but inside you're just saying, Lord Jesus, please don't, won't, don't let nobody talk about that today. And here Jesus shows up by this fire. And just like Peter denied the Lord three times, Jesus is going to ask Peter three different times. He's going to ask him the same question. We talked about it a few weeks ago. I want you to notice what he, he, he doesn't try to make Peter feel guilty. He doesn't try to publicly humiliate, humiliate Peter. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, would you turn around and tell all the other disciples how sorry you really are? Parents, we try to do that with our kids all the time, don't we? We try to embarrass them into good behavior. Tell them you're sorry. Make sure they hear you. What is that? That's humiliation. That's embarrassment. We're hoping it's going to be a teaching tool. Jesus doesn't say, now, Simon Peter, you write 100 times, I promise to do better. He doesn't. None of those things work. You know what he does? He asks him the qualifying question. The qualifying question. Do you love me? Love is a qualifying question. 
Does he want us to do better? Does he want bad behavior to change? Absolutely. But listen, Jesus understood we love, then we change. Religion says you change and he'll love. No, he loves you. He wants you to love him and then change happens. We love, then we serve. People say, oh, you just need to go to church and you need to start serving. And when you're serving the kids and you're serving the youth and, and you serve here, you, as you serve, you'll just fall in love with Jesus. No, you won't. You'll get mad at people because you realize you're serving a bunch of knuckleheads sometimes. Come on. You realize that just like you're broken, there's other broken people in this place. No, we love, then we serve. We love, then we speak. We love, then we're able to lead. Jesus did painful surgery on Simon Peter that day that produced the desired healing that Peter needed to happen in his life. And just a few days later, he stands up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches and 3,000 people are saved. The old Peter is gone and new Peter is happening. And early historians tell us that Peter lived and he died faithfully to the Jesus to the very end. He never denied Jesus again. He lived to be 65 years of age. He lived 33 of those years after his denial and his reinstatement. He lived 33 years, historians say, church historian, he lived 33 years faithfully serving God, ultimately to be crucified upside down. Now, does that mean Simon Peter was perfect? No. You get in the book of Acts and you read how Paul stood face to face to Simon Peter. They had some intense fellowship about Jews and Gentiles and what he's going to eat. Listen, I'm going to tell you, Peter's not a perfect person, but let me tell you what he did. He kept loving Jesus. Do you love me? That's the answer. Or that's the question that he wants to get us the answer today. Jesus' presence will come in our lives regardless of how much shame we might be feeling, regardless of how much frustration might be going on, regardless of how much doubt or fear or sorrow in our life. Jesus says, I want to come along beside you. And I want my presence to be enough. The presence of the Lord is enough to get you started. Now, there's other things that happen in all of these people's lives. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes. They get filled. Now they have Jesus with them 24-7. The same power that raised up Jesus from the dead now begins to dwell inside of them. They've got the power of the Holy Spirit, but it all started with Jesus showing up in the midst of their sorrow, in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their doubt, in the midst of their frustration, in the midst of their shame. He said, listen, I want to be enough for you. Would you let him be enough for you today? Easter doesn't answer all of our questions, but it answers the question. Who are you looking for? Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at 
pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.